If you have your word tonight, go ahead and turn to Mark. And yes, we are finishing chapter 8, even getting one verse into chapter 9. Mm-hmm. So look out. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 37. So it'll be 37, 38, and then 9, 1. If you're there, say amen. That sounds like most of you. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them who stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Tonight, uh, I included verse 1 of chapter 9 simply because there are many, including myself, who feel that it truly should have been verse 39 of chapter 8. Uh, instead of being verse 1 of chapter 9. And uh, I know a lot of um, theologians and things like that, they, um, they say that the first rule of Scripture interpretation is that you should ignore chapter and verses because the divisions, as you study the word, the divisions aren't inspired. The word is inspired but not how it's broken down into chapters and verse. That's not inspired of the Holy Spirit. That's just how they put it together. So when you're reading and you go into a next chapter, if you just feel like it kind of completes a thought, um, go with it. You know, it, it's, that's not like you're committing a sin by including another uh, chapter or verse in with another text because it all goes together. It's all telling one story, and that's the story of Jesus. Amen? Um, that's what it's about. So I feel like it uh, is continuing to speak of the coming kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about in verse 38 and in verse 37. So 9-1 just kind of ties it all together. So now in verse 37, it says, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So to move forward in tonight's text, I want to go back to verse 36. Last week we ended there and just reread that. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? See, in this verse, the Lord used the entirety of the world by comparison to the soul. And now in verse 37, he goes beyond the world and he challenges man to think of anything that could be given in exchange for the soul. You've got to remember that Peter and all the other disciples had been thinking about the worldly, the world on this earth, mess, uh, thinking that Jesus would be the Messiah here on earth, that his kingdom would be set up here. Remember, that's what we talked about week before last. And they were thinking, no, Jesus. And Peter even rebuked the Lord, saying, you don't have to die. You can set up your kingdom here now. There's no reason for you to be put to death. And he was like, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. I didn't come to set up my kingdom here on earth. I come to bring down a heavenly kingdom. That's why he was here, and they were still struggling to wrap their minds around that and get past that. So they were still looking at it with its profits and rewards. So here now Jesus shows the worthlessness even of the whole world in comparison with the rewards of the true kingdom of God. You see, it's the comparison between the things which are external, that perish, right? to life which is internal and endures forever. We talked about it last week. We basically have a trinity. We have the, the soul, the body, the soul, and the spirit. The body dies. So everything that we do here on this earth, to uh, every exercise program, every whatever we do, just trying to, you know, keep ourselves young, 
hear me, it ain't going to work. <laughs> you, can, you can spend your life's fortune. You can run 27 miles a day. I mean, you hear people all the time that are in tip-top shape dropping over dead of a heart attack. Why? Because this body is meant to die. We're not going to live forever, but our spirit and our soul will. They will live forever in one or two of two places, heaven or hell. So what are we putting the most effort toward? What's going to die or what's going to live forever? I'm getting ahead of myself. But external things can be fixed or repaired, but a lost life can never be repaired. And we've got to keep that in the, the forefront of our mind. We can do all these great things for people, but if we don't give them Jesus, if we don't tell them that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will go to hell. If we don't tell people that, they will be eternally lost. I mean, that word, eternal, should grip our hearts. It should motivate us each and every day, every time we have an opportunity, to show and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talked about it last week or the week before. They're all running together. Why? For his sake. For the sake of the gospel. Plain and simple. We don't we shouldn't need any other motivation or any other reason to, to uh, push us to share. He died for me. He died for you. That should be enough for you to want to share that he did it for all, for whosoever will, right? Sad to say, most of the times it doesn't. And, and we have to be poked and we have to be prodded to, uh, to do that. But I'm praying and believing that there's been a stirring within this body. I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people excited about sharing. Just even last night at prayer, people were sharing things about how excited uh, the, the fire that was ignited within them, going and handing out flyers, going door to door in Yadkinville. They're like, when are we doing it here? We want to go knock on doors here. Yes, let's go. Right? I mean, that's what we should be doing for his sake, for the sake of the gospel. And if we think, uh, oh, well, we've got time, I mean, we're not promised tomorrow. Our lives, again, I've quoted this several times throughout this uh, series, is but a vapor. We don't have time. And if things could be regained, what could you possibly buy it back with? If man's soul could be regained, is there anything that you could really buy it back with? No. Absolutely nothing. Our souls could only be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our souls could only be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood and his blood alone paid the price for our redemption. So there is no price that a man could pay to redeem his soul. If the blood is not applied, which was the payment, for the soul, the soul will be lost forever. And yet we spend so much time and effort in attaining things in this world that in the end mean nothing. I mean, I, I'm, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. And then the Lord will be like, why are you stressing over this? It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Focus on me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? That's what he tells us. That's why he tells us. He's, he's trying to make it as easy as possible for us, but we are the ones that make things hard. We are the ones that, that complicate things. In preparing for the message tonight, I came across so many stories of rich people when on their deathbeds realized their life was a waste. It was for nothing. Eternity was knocking on their door, and unfortunately, they had done nothing to prepare to open the door. A story of a very rich man who right before he, was, uh, right before he died asked that he brought, be brought bags and bags of his money. 
and he wanted them placed all on his bed. He even placed a bag of gold right on his heart. And then he began to cry out, Take it away! Take it away! It will not do. It will not do. He had everything he ever wanted. We talked about Solomon last week. Same thing. Eternity wasn't swayed by his bags of money on his bed. Eternity was still coming. It was still a knocking to come. And all he had was a bag of money to show for it. Didn't get him anything. Didn't get him anywhere. There was another story of a great conqueror. Uh, he was called the King of France. And about 200 years ago after his death, they opened his tomb and they found his body still sitting in an upright position. He was, it was a skeleton. And the crown was still sitting on the head of that skeleton. But in his lap was the Gospels. And his bony finger pointing to Mark 8.36. Wow. Right? Signifying, I got all of this stuff, all of these robes, this scepter, this crown. And guess what? The only thing that matters is this right here. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? That's what his skeleton finger was pointing to. Mark 8.36. Wow. Wow, think about that. When it came time for him to die, he left his robes, his riches, and his royalty behind, and he went out into eternity to meet his God. See, when you and I reach the end of our earthly journey, nothing we have accumulated here in this life will matter. It won't matter one bit. All that will matter is that we willingly, that's the key, we willingly lost our lives to his will so that he might live through us. We willingly lost our lives to his will so that he might live through us. Not my will, but your will be done. And oh, we could go off on this and because we all have dreams, we all have plans. But if we uh, dared to inquire of the Lord, and to ask him what his thoughts are concerning our plans. All too often we make our plans and then, oh, Lord, bless them. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Lord, bless it. But if it's not his will, his blessing is not going to be on it. He only blesses his will, not our will. So we have to, to lay down our lives See, gain on this earth can never satisfy the heart. That is a place reserved only for Jesus. He is the only one who fits and fills that void. You hear of so many people, I mean people who have it all, and they take their own lives. Why? Because that void had never been filled. They thought it had been filled with money, fame, whatever else you can think of. But that's a place in our hearts that only Jesus fits. That's that piece of our heart that, that he alone has. And he alone desires and waits to come in. I mean, I don't know if you like to work puzzles or not. I kind of, I like them if they're um, a 25 piece. <laughs> if they're the big clunky ones like babies do. No, I know Sister Gunner and Lynn, they love to work puzzles because on the ladies' retreat, they have a table spread out with like, I don't know, 2,000 pieces. I mean, it's huge. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I like to be the one to walk in at the very end. And there's one piece. And I'm like, done. <laughs> but that is just like the Lord. He sees this. We, we think we're all put together, but there's always a missing piece. And he's the only one who holds it. He's the only one who can come in and place it down and say, done. Right? Oh, wow. When will we get that and realize? And, and most of the time, it's not like we're a perfected piece. There's lots of missing pieces. And as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we uh, learn and, and, and fail Make mistakes. Get up piece by piece. 
He's putting us together. And then on that day, that's when that last peace, when we see him face to face, that's when that peace is going to be put in. And oh, when we see him, we're going to be like him. Amen. That's going to be that final peace that we're going to see him. And I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to that day for this puzzle to finally be put together the way it's supposed to be. You see the word there in verse 37, exchange. Uh, what shall a man uh, give in exchange for his soul? Exchange means as an equivalent. So is there anything that is equal to your soul? No. Going back um, to man doesn't realize this is kind of how we ended last week. The value of his soul simply because he's lost and undone without the Lord. Which means that he has no semblance of God, eternity, everlasting life, heaven, or hell. Right? Not that, not that it makes sense, but it makes you understand why people in this world are so crazy and how they can do the things they do. Because they don't know the Lord. That, that's exactly why. He does not believe uh, and little understand that he's created by God as an eternal being. Speaking of, again, the soul and the spirit. And when you don't understand that, you cannot understand the worth of your soul. You don't see worth in your soul. It's only when a person comes to God making Jesus the Lord of their life, then gaining understanding of the Bible, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, and understanding eternity, that's when you can understand the worth of your soul, but not until then. Now, I'm not going to stay here for long, but I'm going to say this. Uh, this is why abortion is such a slap in the face to the Lord. Do you realize that worldwide there are 40 to 50 million abortions performed every year? That's worldwide. 40 to 50 million. That's 125,000 abortions a day. 125,000 souls a day. And, and we think, how can anybody... Stand with that, because they don't know the Lord. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Uh, anyone, and I mean anyone who would side with a pro-choice candidate is one who has little to no knowledge to who God is. And I know, I know that sounds harsh. But you don't know the Lord if you don't see value in human life. And a heartbeat equals life. A heartbeat equals a soul. And when people do not value that, don't tell me you know my Jesus. You don't. And I know, as sure as I'm standing here, my Facebook feed is going to blow up. But I don't care. I am not condemning the one who's had an abortion. I'm praying for you. And I'm telling you, there is forgiveness in Jesus. And the best thing that you can do is give your heart to the Lord because that soul that was aborted is going to be there to welcome you into the gates of glory. Amen? You will see that soul again. There is forgiveness. There is healing. There is hope for the one who has had an abortion. But to turn a blind eye to it and keep your mouth shut, oh, I'm not getting involved in that, then you're just as guilty as the ones who are doing it. There's no such thing as a silent witness. No such thing. The Lord called us to be the voice for the voiceless. To help those who can't help themselves. What are we doing, church? Oh, well, I just don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Well, do you want to see people die and go to hell? 
Because ultimately that's what that kind of mindset leads to. Uh, what, the scripture says, am I, am I therefore not your friend because I tell you the truth? And I'm telling you in love. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy. Don't believe it. It's a sin. It's a life. It's a soul. There are hundreds of thousands of families of husbands and wives who would gladly adopt a baby that maybe you can't take care of. Gladly. Love to. Would delight them. I mean, be wonderful. I'm one of those people. I would love it. Somebody needs to have a baby. Just saying. We got room in the nursery now. <laughs> but anyway, our prayer, we need, we need to be praying for this world and, and the, the mindset of people when it comes to abortion. And I know there are people say, well, you can't compare sin to sin. Uh, we're talking about soul. And that, that is, that's, that's up there, folks. Having no regard for life. Okay, I'm going to leave it alone. Again, there's forgiveness, so there you go. Verse 38 of chapter 8. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Yes, that's what we're living in. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, if we deny him now, he will deny us then. You will hear those words, depart from me, for I never knew you. And we say this all the time. This is not to the non-believer uh, the one who was outside of the church. This is to the one who was in the church because they say, well, did we not cast out devils, do all these things in your name, Lord? And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. These are the ones that are here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Easter, Christmas, whatever else in between. But yet they have no relationship, no personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no desire to share, to be a witness for him, to stand up when nobody else will. Those are the ones that are deceived, and those are the ones that will, uh, the Lord will be ashamed of on that day. Because to say that, uh, oh, well, I, I just can't do that, or, or, you know, we have all these excuses. See, the opposite of being ashamed is being proud. So, we're saying, Lord, we're not proud of you. We're not thankful for what you've done for us in our just not taking a stand, not standing up for the Lord. That's what we're saying. We're ashamed. That's what that's talking about. I found a cute little thing, and I just I like this because this is me. But it says a goat and a sheep got into a conversation one day. And the goat says, hey, sheep. Do you know what my ranking is amongst all the other goats? The sheep said, no, I don't. Goat said, I'm number 13 in all the herd. What number are you, sheep? And the sheep says, well, I don't know my number, goat, but I'm loved by my shepherd. The goat says, you're a dumb sheep. Why do you follow that guy? Can't you run your own life? Don't you have any sheep pride? And the sheep says, I try not to. I did one time. I tried to be in charge of my life once. Now you're talking, goat says. How did it go? And the sheep said, not so well. I got lost. Master had to leave the flock and come and find me. The goat says, ah, dumb sheep, I bet you got in big trouble. And the sheep said, no, he wasn't mad at me at all. He just said he missed me and told me to follow him, and he showed me the way home. I love him, and I'm proud to call him my shepherd and my master. 
I'm not embarrassed to be seen being led by him. And come to think of it, I actually do have sheep pride. I'm proud of him. Goat says, oh, um, did I tell you I'm number 13 in all of our herd? That's all the goat could boast in, being number 13 in all of the herd. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anything, I want people to see me following my shepherd each and every day, even if the entire world is walking this way. I'm following him. I'm going against the grain. That's what we are in this life, folks. If we are totally sold out to the Lord, we're not going with the flow. We're always going against the grain. Always. He never promised that it was going to be easy, but he promised that he would always be with us, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Again, the opposite of being ashamed of someone is being proud of them admiring them, not being embarrassed to be seen with them, worshiping him. Whenever we're given the chance, I've told you guys, I've been reading books on persecution and the persecution of of Christians all over this world, and I find myself at times saying, am I even a Christian at all? Because I'm so easily... Oh, well, I don't know. I draw back. I shrink back from things. Why? I'm praying, Lord, give me boldness. Give this body boldness like never before to never shrink back, but to always take a stand, to not be a coward, but to be courageous, to not give in to fear, but stand in faith, fully persuaded fully persuaded that there is a cause and his name is Jesus. Amen? Not buying in, not falling prey to the traps that the enemy has set up for us. We were just having a discussion, uh, I think it was yesterday, and unfortunately sometimes discussions go a little too far and get a little too graphic in my house. I, I fail to remember that Gemma is only nine And Sawyer was talking about Christians being decapitated uh, for taking a stand for their faith. And Gemma says, could that happen here? And Sawyer says, yeah, mom and dad could get their heads cut off. And I said, what about you, Sawyer? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, after they cut mine and your dad's heads off, who are they coming for next? Are you willing to take a stand? And Jim is just standing there, and I'm just oblivious to her because I'm like honing in on Sawyer, trying to make it real and make the most of this moment. And Jim's like, Mom, are they going to cut your head off? I was like, well, not today, honey. I don't think. But if they do, I'll be in heaven, and you'll be joining me shortly. Because I know you're going to take a stand for Jesus too. And she's like, (laughs) I don't know if she's fully persuaded, but she's getting there. She's getting there. But we've got to be that kind of people with that kind of resolve already. You better be getting there, folks. I'm I'm not instilling fear or spreading doom and gloom, but there may come a day. And I tried to bring it back down, and I said, well, Gemma, they'll probably start with taking our word, saying we can't have our Bibles, but you've got the word in your heart, right? And so then she started trying to say every scripture verse that she'd ever learned. And I said, there you go. It's in there. We just got to keep putting it in, keep putting it in, and putting it in. I said, there's people all over this world that have like a, a half of a page of the Bible, and that's enough. <laughs> One word from the Master. One word from him is enough to keep us, enough to keep us, enough to save us, right? But we are blessed in this nation. We are blessed here. And we better be availing ourselves to this word as much as we possibly can, getting it into us. I truly believe that the church is going to be raptured out of here before it gets too bad. That's just my, in my heart. 
But I'm not saying there's not going to come a time when there's a knock on our door, especially if Christians don't go vote in November. Do you know the crazies that are running? Oh, I'm, I'm like Donnie. This is bad summer coming out tonight. I don't know. You better vote. Yes, vote two or three times. They do it all the time. You see a wreath on the door at somebody's house, get their name. <laughs> oh, gosh, I just took it to a whole other level. I am, I am very bad. Keep your obituaries in. <laughs> Names. Okay. Anyway. So go do your civic duty and vote. Yeah, you will, I'm sure. So Jesus is saying, we're getting back on track. Here we go. So Jesus is saying, if you are embarrassed by me and the price I paid for you. Again, he's not referring to lapses of courage when we didn't share our faith. What he's referring to is, is our hearts settled in the faith? Is our hearts anchored in the faith? We are all going to have times where we shrink back and, we, and then we come home and we why did I not do that? Man, I missed it. But I want to encourage you with the word. He is a redeemer of the time. Lord, give me another opportunity, and he will. So what are you going to do with the next opportunity, right? You're going to do it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a settled state of your heart toward him. If you're not proud of me and you don't cherish me and what I did for you, if you want to put yourself with the goats and value your reputation and the goat herd more than you value me, then that's the way I'll view you when I come back. That's what he says, because we know he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's what the word says. So what herd are you going to find yourself in? The goats who are boasting in themselves and all that they do, those are the ones that, oh, we casted out devils in your name, we fed the sick, we did all this, fed the hungry, healed the sick, all of those things. Are you going to be a sheep that was just happy to follow the master? happy to follow him, right? That's ultimately what he's asking. So why would anyone be ashamed of Jesus? Well, Satan has made it his business to so insult the person of Jesus Christ in every conceivable way that this spirit permeates the entirety of the world and mankind. But the greatest cause, the greatest reason people are ashamed of Jesus is the manner in which he died to redeem humanity from the grip of Satan and the grip of sin. Commentary says, The cross of Christ appears to the great body of mankind to be shameful and contemptible. To the Jews, it is a stumbling block. You know this portion of Scripture. To the Greeks, foolishness. So vast numbers, whether through shame or fear, do not dare confess it and still less preach it. Less and less will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul would go on to say in Romans uh, 1 and 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, meaning us, Gentiles. It's the power of God. That's where we get our power from. The phrase in this adulterous and sinful generation is actually speaking about the character of Israel um, at the time of Christ and also to every generation which has followed the world. Mankind is ashamed of him. Why? Because the, the world and all of mankind is adulterous and sinful. That's why they're ashamed. The word adulterous, although... Uh, it's, of course, speaking to immorality, pertains more to the instance of the worship. They worshipped anything that was not of God. And that's what we see taking place in our country and all around the world today. Worshipping any and everything you can think of, except for the one and only one who laid down their life 
to redeem their soul, and that's Jesus Christ. And what that means is those who put um, church ahead of Christ. See, the whole religion of Catholicism does this. Uh, and many Protestants um, are, according to Jesus, adulterous. That's why Paul in Romans 1 and 25, uh, that's why he said this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. You see, you see people worshiping the church, their pastor, their programs, what they do, instead of worshiping the creator, God Almighty. I mean, that's, uh, Catholicism is just more uh, common. We know that. They place the church on the highest, the highest pinnacle. And I guess it would be the Virgin Mary. <laughs> How that breaks the heart of God. It's not about that. This church could burn to the ground, and we're going to keep going forward. It's not about this. It's about the one that's living inside of us, who's dwelling inside of us. Um, in other words, uh, no one can be saved and ashamed of Christ at the same time. If you are truly saved, something inside of you will not allow you to be silent, maybe for a time, but as you continue to grow in your grace and knowledge of the Lord, it's going to come out. People are going to see it. You're going to have a desire and a passion to tell people. You get tired of people going the wrong direction, seeing their lives just wrecked when it doesn't have to be that way. All the while, you know the answer. You know him by name, right? We've got to start telling people, considering what Jesus has done to save mankind, and I'm talking about dying on the cross, the price that he paid. One can well understand how shame will come back on the heads of those who hold Christ in disdain. Yes, he is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. And you see a lot of people... Um, Think of him in the realm of, oh, he was just the son of man. Well, guess what? He was 100% man, but all at the same time, he was 100% God. He never at one time lost the possession of deity. Not once. He is, was, always will be the son of God. If we see him in the realm of deity, meaning that he is God, and that he never ceased to be God, even while on this earth, then his splendor and glory outshine the sun. That's what this next part, the last part of uh, 38 is saying, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, speaking of the second coming, not the rapture in Revelation 19. All the reasons for which man presently seems to be ashamed of Christ will vanish. They will all go away. They will be proven at his second coming. The Lord will come with such splendor and glory that there will absolutely be no doubt who and what he is. In fact, his coming will be with such glory that it's wrote about Matthew 24, 29, says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. You want to talk about glory and splendor coming down out of heaven? That's what he's coming with, folks. No one will be ashamed of him then. All who are born again and thereby not ashamed of Christ will actually come back with him. You realize that's what we're going to get to do? That's what we're going to get to be a part of. We're going to get to come back with him at this time of glory and splendor. But unfortunately, those who were ashamed of him, they won't be with him at that second coming. They won't be there. Verse 1 says, and he said in, of chapter 9, he said unto them, I say unto you that there shall be some of them who stand here which shall not taste of death. First part of it says, uh, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, talks about the tremendously important statement that he's about to make. 
what comes after that. Um, that there may be some of you who stand here. That's what he's talking about. Now, he's not talking about a physical death here. He's talking about that veil being lifted and in six, really six days after this, they're going to get to experience what it's all about. They're going to get to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and their crucified Savior. And, and they interchange kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven a lot. You'll find that um, in the Gospels because some were writing to the Jews while others were writing to Gentiles. But those two things, don't get tripped up on it. They mean the same thing. They can be interchanged um, at any time that, that needs to be. And at the conclusion of the kingdom age, with Satan cast into the lake of fire, oh, I'm so ready for that, <laughs> along with all of his fallen angels and demons, John then said, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall be delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Wow. I am ready for that day. This conclusion with the kingdom of God rid all of opposition, which refers to Satan and his kingdom of darkness, will then make the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven one at the same time. Wow. I am, I am looking forward to that day. This kingdom of which Jesus spoke will come with great power and will commence at the second coming. This was the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream in the book of Daniel. And talking about the stone coming from heaven, which represents Christ, um, he says, and smiting the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. It then says, coming these earthly kingdoms, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth, Right? His glory is going to fill all of this earth. See, the kingdom now, people, that's false doctrine. They're teaching that, oh, things are getting better because the gospel's going forth and we're possessing land, we're taking over. That is a lie. The truth is, this world is not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. That's the truth of the matter. In fact, Satan in the very new future is going to make his bid for world dominion. We're talking about the Antichrist. He's coming. I keep in my mind, every time I think about that, I just hear four more years, four more years. I just can't get politics out of my mind tonight. The world at that time, which is just ahead of us, and according to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, I don't have time, but you can go home and read it, um, are going to experience turmoil, suffering, war, uh, and judgment as it has never known before. Actually, the coming times of the near future are going to see tribulation, as the world has never seen in all of its history. These are the very words that Matthew writes. Um, in, and you can look it up. I don't have it pulled up, but Matthew 24, 21. And Jesus was not speaking. Some people say, oh, well, he was talking about the conflict, uh, AD 70 in Jerusalem. That's not what he was talking about. He just destroyed that. The disciples of Christ had asked him the question as to the sign of his coming, of his return. Obviously, he didn't come in AD 70, because we're here now, right? Um, he didn't come then, but that date certainly did not mark the end of the age when the kingdom of God comes with power, even as Jesus said in Matthew. Uh, he, in fact, will come back to this earth because without him, there can be no kingdom. He's the king coming back to set up his kingdom here on earth, right? At that time, Israel will accept him as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Then Israel will become the greatest nation in the world with Christ reigning personally and supremely from Jerusalem. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. You want to know a candidate to vote for? but for one who stands with Israel and one who protects life. You can't go wrong. Stand to your feet. Tonight, I just want to ask you a question, and I kind of alluded to it, to it earlier. What herd do you find yourself in? 
Do you find yourself in conversation boasting of what you're doing, the accomplishments that you've made, or everything that you say is it pointing to the Lord? Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with this. Thank you. I'm here to tell you we, we all need uh, an overhaul in that. We all need more of him and less of us. We all need that, each and every one of us. I just want to know tonight, before anybody leaves this house, that you purpose in your heart, that you draw that line in the sand, Lord, I'm not ashamed. I love you, Lord. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for doing all that you've done for me, Lord. And tonight, I just want to come, and I want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you by my re responding to your Holy Spirit, just coming down for a moment and saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as the music plays tonight, I'm going to ask you to do just that. If you need boldness, we're going to pray for you for boldness. If you need healing, we're going to pray for you for healing. Whatever the need may be, the Lord's here tonight, and I'm just asking you to respond to his drawing. Go ahead, Vanessa. We're an anchor for those who are hurting. We're a harbor for those who are lost. Sometimes it's not always easy. whole world around 
some he's a name but to me he's my everything amen amen heavenly father i thank you lord for your sweet holy spirit that's in this house tonight god oh lord i don't even want to leave lord but god i'm encouraged to know that i don't have to leave your presence but that you will go with us lord god i pray that you continue to stir us up lord stir up a hunger and a desire, Lord, for you, for your righteousness, Lord, for your word, God. Oh, prepare us, Lord. Let your name be on our lips, God. And even as we leave this place tonight, God, as we cross paths with those who do not know you, Lord, let it be your name, God, that comes out of our mouth first, Lord, always pointing everyone to the cross to what you've done for us, Lord, and we thank you and praise you for it. I pray that you keep us all safe and bring us all back together at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.